0: you have your, your Bibles, I want to invite you to open up to Nehemiah chapter 6. And this morning our text will be Nehemiah chapters 6 and 7. But before you look at the length of chapter 7, don't be discouraged. We won't read all of chapter 7. Let us, let us go to the Lord in time of prayer. Father... As we come now to your word. We ask that you would give us eyes to see. Give us minds to comprehend and give us hearts to love your word. Lord, we pray that you would strengthen us through your word. and Father, that you would fill our hearts and our minds and our eyes with uh, with with encouragement from your word and with with the truth of your word. And Lord, that by your Holy Spirit, you would illumine our hearts and our minds and our eyes to understand and to, to believe upon and to trust in your word. For Father, your word gives us guidance and teaches us the truth and reveals to us who you are. So Lord, teach us this morning. Speak into our own lives today. By your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you have made to dwell within each of us. Illustrate and and apply your word in our own lives. Bring to our minds, Father, areas that, that maybe we need to submit to you. or areas where we are walking in sin. Reveal those to us, Lord, and strengthen us to remove ourselves. To cast those things away. And to draw nearer to you. Now, Lord, I pray. The words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, for it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. The title of the passage or the text this morning, the sermon rather, is called to persevere. When we think of the word persevere, what do we think about? What's the first, let's do word association. What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear the word Persevere. Long time. Keep going. You don't have to be positive in all of your descriptions. Hard work, right? What else? Anything else? Trouble. Trouble. (laughs) Opposition, trouble. And that's exactly what Nehemiah was facing. In Nehemiah chapters 6 and 7, Nehemiah has done a, a great work up until this point. In fact, God's people have been doing a great work. And that great work that the people of God have been doing, it's been rebuilding the wall. They've been building the wall around the city of Jerusalem so that they can inhabit the city without persecution and they can come before God and worship Him. But the need of the day for Israel, for the people of Israel, for God's people, was perseverance. They needed perseverance in their God given task of rebuilding the walls, because as we read through the first five chapters of Nehemiah, it seems that every time there's a a victory that's won, all of a sudden there's opposition that comes and it begins right away in chapter two. Nehemiah has been praying and waiting for God to give him the Clue, or to give him the sign of when he's to approach the king and ask for this great help in going to rebuild the wall. And, and in chapter 2, as he's praying and he's waiting before the Lord, finally, after three or four months, he's able to ask the king, and the king grants him the travel expenses and all that he needs in order to go and to rebuild the wall. Well, in chapter 3, as the rebuilding begins, the people are unified in the work, Sanballat and Tobiah... Two of the enemies of God's people and of Nehemiah—they're there, jeering and ridiculing Nehemiah, ridiculing God's people. In chapter four, the wall gets completely tied together, all halfway around, all the way around, halfway up, and then all of a sudden, Sanballat and Tobiah. And the surrounding nations at this point come. And they begin threatening the lives of God's people. Chapter 5 shows us that the enemy launches another attack. But this time it was an internal opposition. Or attack from internal opposition. Within the community of the nobles and the officials of the Jews. They begin, uh, they begin seeking their own good. And oppressing the poor within the community. Every time... There's movement forward in advancing God's kingdom. There was opposition that came against God's people in one way or another. I want to challenge us this morning, church, the need of the day for Crosspoint. It's perseverance. In our own lives, in our corporate lives, and in our individual lives, the need of the day is Perseverance. When we've accomplished a spiritual victory, the first thing that we're tempted to do oftentimes is kind of coast and and sit back and maybe take it easy, even take a a victory lap. But the challenge that we see in Nehemiah, the faithfulness that we see through Nehemiah, is we must persevere in our God-given commission of making disciples of all nations. For that is the great work that God has called us to do. And it must be the continuing, ever-present goal with which we approach our daily Christian living. We know the tactics of Satan, our enemy. He's cunning. He's deceitful. He prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking those whom he may devour. He wants to get us isolated from the community of faith and falling down in our sin so that our lives become discouraged, full of discouragement. He wants to get us attached to our sins so that we're powerless in living for the kingdom of God. But we must persevere in our work for the kingdom of God. And so this morning, I want to give us four observations regarding perseverance in the life of God's people. The first observation I want to make this morning. In verses one through nine is this, perseverance means remaining focused on the great work at hand. Remaining focused on the great work at hand. Read with me in chapter 6, beginning in verse 1 through verse 9. Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set the doors and the gates... Sandballat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come, let us meet together in HaKepharim, in the plain of Anno. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. In the same way, Sanballat, for the fifth time, sent his servant To me with an open letter in his hand. And it was written It's reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem that there is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports. So now come, let us take counsel together. Then I sent to him, saying, No such things as you say have been done, for you're inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O God, strengthen my hands. Nehemiah prays in verse 9 for God's strength. What I want us to see this morning from this text is that when we persevere in the great work of God for the glory of God, then the light of the gospel of Christ is displayed before the nations. I hope we see that from the text as we walk through it this morning. So the situation that Nehemiah paints for us is clear. The enemy's attacks are are no longer against God's people. Now they've turned their aim toward Nehemiah, the one that's leading the charge. And the people of God and Nehemiah have made great progress on the wall. Verse 1, in fact, tells us that all the breaches were closed and the only thing that was remaining were for the doors and the gates to be set. I thought about this. If, if I was in Nehemiah's position or if we were in Nehemiah's position We we might be tempted to look back and to admire what we've accomplished in the past, right? We kind of look back over the wall and think, "Man, look how good that wall looks." We'll see in a moment. We did this in 52 days. We think to ourselves, "We're almost done. Let me just coast a little bit." Look at how far we've come. No, that's not what Nehemiah does. In fact, Nehemiah remains vigilant. He remains focused. He remains focused on the great work that God has called him to. He doesn't allow the enemy to sidetrack him. Notice the subtlety of the enemy's attacks when they come against Nehemiah. They pretended to try to make peace, but Nehemiah was wise to their schemes. Maybe it was the place they asked him to meet them in. The, 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 the place of and in, in the plain of Ono. It was a place that was near Nehemiah the enemy's encampment. It was on the edge of the kingdom. It would have been a day's travel for Nehemiah to go there and then a day to come back. And so verse 4 records for us the great response, or verse 3 rather, the great response that that Nehemiah gives whenever they come and, and ask him to be drawn away and to come and to meet with them. And the great response Nehemiah gives, he says to Sanballat and to Geshem and to even Tobiah, I'm doing a great work, and I can't cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it to come down to you? Verse four tells us they sent to him four more times in the same way, and he answered he answered in the same way each time. And so when Sanballat's attempts to lure Nehemiah away from the work, fail. Verse 5 says that he sent an open letter to Nehemiah. Now, an open letter was significant. This would be the equivalent of today having something blasted over the Twitter feed or Facebook that is defaming your character or the work that you're doing. And so he sends this open letter, and the design of an open letter is that it's not sealed so it can be read by anybody who puts their hands on it and is able to read. So verse 6, Sanballat tries to approach Nehemiah like he's looking out for Nehemiah's best interests, And so he says there in verse 6, it's reported among the nations, Nehemiah. and And Geshem says it also. That you and the Jews intend to rebel. That's why you're building a wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you've also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem that there's a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports? I know that's not the case. So come now, Nehemiah. Come and let us, let us take counsel together. Let's figure this out together. You see, Nehemiah knew they wanted, to do, they wanted to do him harm. And I love the way Nehemiah replies in verses 8 and 9. He replies with boldness and with truth. He confronts the lies and simply relies with, with boldness simply replies with boldness. He dispels the lies by speaking the truth. In verses 8 and 9, verse 8, Then I sent to him, saying, No such things as you say have been done, for you're inventing them out of your own mind. And then he clues us in on the key as to what was happening that Dr. David highlighted in the beginning this morning. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking... Their hands will drop from the work and it will be done or it will not be done. But he prays now, O God, strengthen my hands. He prays for God's strength. He continues the work and he trusts in God. He trusts in God's presence and in God's faithfulness. And so he prays. How do we respond when people are speaking against our reputation, or our character? Are we quick to respond by speaking back in slander? Or do we, we take counsel like even Nehemiah did in chapter 5? We take counsel with our heart before the Lord. Are we quick to turn to God in prayer as Nehemiah does and pray for God's strength and just to speak boldly and, and to address the issue head on? Not to go around and speak to all kinds of different people, but just to come in straight on, head on. Approach the source, speak truthfully. I want to ask us this morning, church, what's the great work that we've been called to? Nehemiah finds himself in the midst face, in the midst of this great work, facing opposition, their great work was rebuilding the wall, but what is it that the church has been called to? And I want to submit to you this morning that the church, you and I are, were called, as Matthew 28:18 says, to make disciples of all nations. Believer, what is the great work you've been called to? The great work is the work of disciple making. And where does this work begin? It, be, it begins in our homes. It begins with our children. It, it fleshes itself out and is displayed through our marriages. And, it, and then it's also carried out in the world. It happens in the, the relationship that we have with Christ through reading His word, which reveals to us the truth about who God is, and so we're, we're actively growing in our faith. It happens day in and day out. We carry out this work in our vocations. Our vocations ought to be approached in with a deep sense of calling. Vocation isn't just about drawing a paycheck and supporting our families. No, vocation is about the mission field in which God has called us and, and given us. It is a way that we are to serve God. And so we must enter our vocations for the glory of God. God has given us this mission field and he's called us to this mission field. And it's a mission field in which God desires through each of us to display his glory and to display how he has done a work of transforming grace in our lives. And so our mission in the world is to advance God's kingdom. We learn what that looks like from reading the life of Christ and reading God's word and Committing God's word to memory, for it's God's word that shapes us and transforms us. So I, I want us to see that while we're not, uh, while we're doing an important work. And while me, was doing an important work in physical restoration, and rebuilding the wall. The what of the work is not nearly as important. As the how as to how we are doing the work, and as to whom we are doing the work for. You see, the greatness of the work for Nehemiah wasn't necessarily determined in what he was doing. It was determined in how he was going about doing it and who he was doing it for. And it's the same thing in our lives. Listen, discipling children isn't necessarily building a wall right around the city of Jerusalem, but it's a great work, it's an important work, it's one which parents are called to do. Loving our spouses, this is, this is gospel work. Being integral and honest in our vocations, this is gospel work. We are proclaiming the gospel as we are living out scripture in our lives and evidencing the transforming power of the grace of Christ in our lives. And so this is the vocational ministry that God has called each of us to. Not just in the sense of the professional clergy, but in the sense of each of us being called into a mission field, being given a set of gifts in which we employ them in serving others, and we do this for the glory of God. So Nehemiah persevered in the work. He remained focused on the great work at hand. In the mornings, Tara and I try to wake up early, and as we try to wake up early, we do this specifically because we we want to just have we want to grab a few moments, if possible, that we can spend time reading the Word before we hear, hear the, the the little footsteps coming down the hall, or before we we have uh, we have conversations that are that are trying to happen in the midst of our reading. But often, often. Two of our kids wake up early, as early as we do. And so sometimes it's hard for us to get that, that alone time, right? And so I found a perfect verse to be able to share with my kids whenever I'm trying to read my Bible in the morning and have my quiet time before the Lord. And so I just want to give you this verse so that you can do the same if you're struggling in the same position. Verse 3, right? This is what Nehemiah said. This is what I can say. I'm doing a great work, and I cannot come down. (laughs) Give me some time, right? Don't distract me from the great work that I'm doing. The reality, the reality is, if you're a stay-at-home mom, God has called you to honor him through changing diapers or teaching and investing in your children, maybe through homeschooling or or through preparing the home for, for your husband. God has called you to honor him through, through making disciples, young disciples of the faith. If you're a student, God has called you to honor him in your studies, in your ethics, and when you take tests, not cheating. If you're an employee, God has called you to honor him in serving your employer with honesty and integrity and giving your best in the work that you're doing and doing it for God's glory your spouse God has called you to honor him in your marriage by living out passages like Ephesians 5:22 through 33 and being committed to one another as as a husband and wife come together in one union if you're single God has called you to honor him in your singleness if you if you desire to meet someone don't let that desire overshadow your desire for God for Christ if you begin dating guard your purity if you're a child God has called you to honor him by honoring and obeying your parents. Most likely your friends won't say, wow, did you see how how so-and-so was obeying their parents? No, most likely they're going to make fun of you. But in the midst of that, understand that God has called us to persevere. Don't lose heart. God has called us to have endurance, to keep going, because our Father in Heaven sees that we're honoring Him through honoring and obeying our parents for the children, through honoring and and, and seeking the best of the company as an employee, and so on and so forth. So what's the point? The point is that we need to see the great work that God has called us to be engaged in and to do, and, and see all of life under this umbrella of working for the glory of God. How do we identify the enemy? Well, we identify the enemy. I think Nehemiah shows us that it's, it's intellectual work and it's, it's spiritual work and probably some other kind of work involved as well. But the intellectual work that we see displayed here, Nehemiah doesn't, he doesn't strike us, right, as a man of blind faith. No, he's, he's thinking. He, 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 he puts things together. Two plus two equals four for him. He uses the reasonably sound mind that God has given him to consider the circumstances and to consider the surroundings. He doesn't just go off on a gullible adventure thinking, these guys have had a change of heart. Yeah, they're looking out for my best interest now. It's intellectual work, identifying the enemy, but it's also spiritual work. Nehemiah was discerning. He was discerning what was going on. He was discerning, asking, is this going to promote the work of God or hinder the work of God in my life and through my life? And believers, we too must discern by the Holy Spirit's leading which things enter our lives to promote God's good work and which things enter our lives to deter us and to distract us from God's great work. See, when we walk in the fear of the Lord, there's no reason to fear man, verse 9, for they all wanted to frighten us, thinking they would stop us from working on the wall. But Nehemiah, not fearing man, instead fearing God, prays, "O God, strengthen my hands. Let's be ready to answer those things which will distract us from the work that God has given us to do. We can respond with the same perseverance that we see in Nehemiah. He responds with great perseverance, trusting in God. Believer, church, what is the great work God has called you to do? What are those things which seek to distract you from from engaging in the great work that God has called us to? second observation I want to make regarding perseverance this morning is that perseverance is accompanied by knowing the word of God. We see this in verses 10 through 14. Nehemiah knew the Pentateuch. He knew the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. God's word held a governing place in Nehemiah's life. It had a place of authority in Nehemiah's life. It informed his actions and and it gave him zeal for God's name to be glorified among the nations. And so scripture has caused in Nehemiah's heart a desire to live for God's glory. And so consequently, Nehemiah can identify and spot a false prophet when he hears one. And that's exactly what happens in verses 10 through 14. In verse 10, Nehemiah goes into the house of Shemaiah. And as he goes into the house of Shemaiah, Shemaiah, the prophet, gives him counsel. He says, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple and let us close the doors of the temple for they're coming to kill you. They're coming to kill you by night. But see, Nehemiah being a student of Scripture knowing the Pentateuch, knows that Numbers 4.19, speaking to the children of Israel, says, But deal thus with them, that they may live and not die when they come near to the most holy thing, speaking of coming into the temple. Aaron and his sons shall go in and appoint, speaking of the workers, the laymen, that shall go in and appoint them each to his task and to his burden but they shall not go in and look on the holy things even for a moment lest they die. Nehemiah knew that for a layman to enter into the inner into the temple into the inner sanctuary meant death. He knew that it was a sin and an offense toward God. Numbers 18:7 continues, speaking of the holy of holies, the inner sanctuary of the temple, I give God says I give your priesthood as a gift, and any outsider who comes near shall be put to death. Now, Nehemiah is a man who knows Scripture. He knows God's Word. He knows God's commandments for his life. And so consequently, he knows that when Shemaiah gives him this instruction, that this is not biblical instruction. It's not sound advice. And he knew that following Shemaiah's counsel would cause him to sin. And so he recognizes that Shemaiah's counsel is a direct contradiction against God's word and and to him trusting in God. So Nehemiah shows us really one of the foundational truths of Scripture: if we want to know the will of God, then we must know God's word. You see, in verse verse thirteen, he says, verse twelve. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose he was was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. And then he prays to God, Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, O my God, according to these things that they did and also the prophets The prophetess and the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. We see again and again this desire of the enemy to cause Nehemiah to fear. But Nehemiah is not one who's walking in the fear of man. Instead, he's persevering and walking in the fear of God. What we learn here is that God's prophets are not for hire the true prophet of God is not one who is for hire. There are many false prophets today who are pursuing their own gain and seeking to advance their own kingdom. They're not seeking to advance God's kingdom. And by knowing scripture, we will know who they are and will be able to guard against their blasphemy and their heresy. You see, perseverance in the work of God is accompanied by knowing the word of God The question I want to ask us this morning is, church, do we know God's word? Do you know God's word so that you're able to distinguish ungodly counsel when you hear it from godly counsel? When somebody gives you counsel that's in direct contradiction to God's word, are you quick to dismiss it? Nehemiah was. We ought to be as well. The third observation I, I want to make about perseverance that I think we see in this passage is that perseverance accomplishes God's work, God's way and in God's time. Or rather, pers- yeah, perseverance accomplishes God's work, God's way and in God's time. Look at verses 15 and 16. In verse 15. He says, so the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul, in 52 days. And when our enemies heard it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. The wall was finished in 52 days. What a tremendous work. For me, this is a great encouragement. We we shouldn't underestimate the work that God desires to do through us when he calls us. And so in serving him, we must persevere as Nehemiah did. You know, the task wasn't easy for Nehemiah. He faced opposition after every turn. At every small victory, he He had opposition coming against him, but throughout the opposition, he turned to God and he persevered. The great work that God calls us to do won't happen if we're not faithful to persevere in the call of God in our lives. Hudson Taylor, the missionary to inland China, once said, You don't need a great faith, but faith in a great God. And I believe this summarizes the life of Nehemiah. We see constantly that that Nehemiah turns to God, exercising prayers of faith in a great God. I love Spurgeon's quip. Spurgeon says, By perseverance the snail reached the ark. (laughs) Think about it. It took a long time for the snail to get there. But you see, he was persevering to accomplish God's work in God's way, and in God's time. The wall was built, and in the midst of building the wall, Nehemiah was clear to point to God as the one who gets the glory. In fact, verse 16 says, they wanted to make us afraid, but instead, all the nations around us were afraid, and they fell greatly in their own esteem. Listen, for they perceived that the work that had been accomplished was a work that was accomplished with the help of our God. Church, we want to be a people who radically display this kind of trust and perseverance in God's work among us. We want to be a people whose testimony bears witness to the things being done that can only be done by the explanation of God's hand at work in the midst of his people. We want people to look at cross point and we want them to see our gospel efforts and say only God could do that. We want them to say things like I knew those people before they were converted and it's a miracle of God that he has radically transformed them and saved them. And it's amazing that that God could take such a group of misfits and different personalities and put them together and see them loving one another and living out the gospel faithfully. You see, we want the love of Christ to be displayed in and through us so that when people look upon us, they look on in awe and see the hand of God in our community of faith. The call in every believer's life is faithfulness in fulfilling the great work and calling of God. Church, we must persevere in God's work. We must persevere in God's work, God's way, and in God's time. And here's the thing, when we persevere in the great work of God, for the glory of God, the light of the gospel of Christ is displayed before the nations, It happened here in Nehemiah. They did this great work in 52 days. The nations surrounding them who were taunting them saw it and they fell in their own esteem and they saw that God was a glorious and a powerful and an awesome God. They stood up and they took notice. The same can happen in the midst of this city when we as a church walk in the power and the unity of the Holy Spirit advancing the kingdom of God. In chapters 6 and 7, I want to make the fourth observation for us this morning as we move into chapter 7. But there's a turning point in the narrative where the work goes from physical restoration to spiritual reformation. And I, I think it's huge that we see this because the work of physical restoration was good. But if it stood by itself, the walls would not protect the people of the city. If there wasn't a heart transformation in the lives of the people who were inhabiting the city, if they weren't going to be worshiping the, the, God, the God of creation, if they weren't going to be a people sold out to living out, faithfully living out his covenant, then all the work of rebuilding the walls would be for nothing. Because all of the walls will not protect The city when the people aren't living for God. And so the fourth observation I want to make this morning is. Perseverance aids us in being a holy people set apart to God. In verses 1 through 4 Nehemiah gives us of chapter 7. Nehemiah gives us a situation we read in verse 4. The city was wide and large but the people within it were few and no houses had been built. The issue at hand is the city needs to be repopulated, but it can't be repopulated with just anyone. God's people must be a holy people. So Nehemiah states in verse 5, God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. And I found the book of the genealogy of those who came up at the first, and I found written in it, these were the people of the province who came up out of captivity of those exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried into exile. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his town. Now what's Nehemiah doing in pulling out this genealogical record, this list of the genealogy of all the people that had returned from exile? I'll tell you what he's doing. The city needs to be repopulated. And Nehemiah is guarding the purity and the holiness of God's people. You see, he's moving from the work of physical restoration to spiritual reformation, reforming the hearts of God's people. In fact, this is what chapters 8 through 13 deal with for the rest of the book of Nehemiah. The spiritual reformation of God's people as they re-inhabit the city. And so the list of returned exiles is the same one that we see in Ezra 2, but here's what it does. It authenticates the Jews by their genealogy. Those who are in the list and who are on the list, they are truly the covenant people of God. And if a person's name, a priest or a person, wasn't found on the list, then they were excluded from the priesthood. And they were excluded from living within the city until they confessed Yahweh, the God of Israel, as their covenant God. So Nehemiah realizes this work of rebuilding the walls needs to be accompanied by the spiritual work of reforming the hearts of God's people. So he sets out to make sure that they're they're pure and they're holy. You know, this isn't so far removed from the new covenant community in the church today. For one to be part of the church today, like Nehemiah. Nehemiah calls the people to, to join the true people of God by, by repenting of their sin and trusting in this God as creator. And so the church as well today call people, we, we call others to come into the faith by, by repenting of their sin and trusting in Christ as Savior. If a person wanted to join the people of God in Nehemiah's day, they'd have to separate themselves from the nations and become a Jew. Nehemiah chapter 10 verses 28 and 29 gives us the prescription for that. Likewise, if a person's to be part of the people of God today, they must submit to God as creator. They must... Submit to Christ as Savior by confessing and and repenting of their sin. We must realize and confess that Christ paid the ultimate penalty for our sin with his life. And by doing so, he satisfied the wrath of God against our sin so that we might have eternal life. And so, the good news is that because of what Christ has done on the cross and through his resurrection, people who turn from their sin and profess faith in Christ will be saved. Because of that, we can be part of the people of God. And like Nehemiah is doing here in chapter 7, we, the church at Cross Point, we seek to be vigilant and in discerning who is part of the body of Christ and, and who's not. For the sake of guarding against false prophets being in our midst, even, we, we desire all members of, of Crosspoint to know God, to love God, to worship God. And so we've put things in place like Crosspoint 101. Where we seek to guard entrance into the body of Christ. It's not to prohibit people from joining by any means. But it's simply to exercise spiritual oversight. And to discern as best we can. If those who want to join have had a genuine conversion to Christ. And have followed Christ in believer's baptism. Believer's baptism. It's a public declaration of the inward transformation that God Brings into our life through our confession of Christ as Lord. And so we seek to ensure that a person is a true convert of Christ. And and has confessed Christ as Lord. And that they've followed God in believers baptism. And so the, the steps that Crosspoint has put in place. For people to come and be part of the community of saints to live within the community of of saints and the unity of the church. These steps don't keep people from joining Crosspoint as much as we want to guard the purity and the holiness of the local church. We seek to live in accountability to one another and hold one another accountable. So as we see in Nehemiah chapter 7, he pulls out the genealogy and he he begins reading through and seeing whose name's on the list and whose name is not, all for what? All for the sake of purity and holiness for God's people. It would have been easy for Nehemiah to say, well, I'm just going to return back to the capital and go back to being the king's cupbearer my work here Is finished, we built the wall, we're done. But no, he understands that physical restoration must be matched by spiritual reformation. And so I want to challenge us, church. God has called us to be a holy people set apart unto him. And we as his people must persevere in living for his glory and carrying out the mission that God has called us to So the question I want to ask us this morning is, are you persevering in the great work of God? Are you seeking to live for his glory? Are you studying and knowing God's word and applying it into your life so that you can walk in his will and and live for him? Do you need spiritual reformation in your own heart this morning? Maybe, maybe for you this morning, it looks like uniting with the community of faith. Where it looks like you begin this process of, of walking through joining and being part of God's community of people so that we celebrate and, and walk through life together. Whatever the case, I want to challenge you and encourage you this morning that you respond to the work of the Lord in your own life and that we as God's people would not give up That we would persevere in the work that God has called us to. That we would persevere in making disciples. That we would not get discouraged and distracted by the opposition. But that we would continue moving forward in doing the work of the gospel. In making disciples. In spreading the gospel message. So I'm going to close this morning with prayer. And I want to invite you to respond to the Lord as he leads. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word, your word that strengthens us, your word that gives us endurance, your word that gives us perseverance. And, Lord, we, like Nehemiah, want to be men and women of strong faith and character, men and women who look to you and come to you in prayer and entrust our very lives to you. And so, Father, we ask this morning that you would give us perseverance in the journey Perseverance in the great work that you have called us to in our homes, in our marriages, in our vocations, whatever those are, Lord, help us to be strong and and enduring and give us your perseverance, Father. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.